Business Breakfast with Oanda on Jazz FM. Online trading, currency data, money transfers. Greg Ellum joins us. Very good morning to you, Craig. So the World Health Organization is wondering whether or not to call this a global emergency. And what started off as fairly small, you can see now, can't you, with the Lunar New Year looming, 100 million people traveling around, etc., etc. This this could be very serious indeed. And we should cast our minds back to that SARS outbreak, which did have an impact on the global economy. Yeah, I mean, obviously, the timing of this is what makes this uh, so concerning, is the, the number of people who are going to be travelling around the, com- the country in confined quarters. Uh, and obviously, the announcement earlier this week that this could be being passed from person to person, which it wasn't previously be- believed to be doing. All of a sudden, you're talking about the potential for a rapid outbreak, uh, which is why they are seeking to uh, contain it. Obviously, so far, the casualties are still very low. And I think it's worth bearing that in mind before we, we kind of panic, which is what can sometimes happen in the early stages of these things. But it does just—it uh, it is just almost a reminder back to uh, to issues uh, of the past, uh, as you've rightly alluded to, which is probably why people are um, yeah. uh, approaching this with a lot of concern. And, and China can no longer consider itself, and we shouldn't consider it a closed kingdom at all, because the world is a much more interconnected place even than it was during the SARS outbreak. Exactly, which is why we've already had cases reported in a few other countries, including one in the US. So um, this does become a global issue very quickly because the the, the way the way in the, the, the people are moving around uh, these days, including uh, in a country like China. Right. Let's move to Davos and the UK and the United States and the European Union and trade. The UK has vowed. We touched on this yesterday. The tech tax will go ahead, um, and the US says that uh, it will respond by uh, perhaps taxing UK car companies on the, or tar- putting tariffs on UK car imports and also the Chancellor added to it by saying that actually as far as negotiations are concerned the EU is still the preference to get solved first before the United States. Now I don't, somebody's clumping around in very heavy boots aren't they? Yeah so I mean this is uh, this is still one of these kind of extraordinary issues where I think everyone's in agreement that tech companies don't pay enough tax and that it needs to be proportionate to the sales which are occurring in the countries. But when you're looking for a, um, a multilateral agreement, then naturally there's always going to be pushback uh, from the countries where they do pay the bulk of their tax. There's going to be pushback from the countries of origin, like the US, where many of these tech companies do uh, originate from and therefore many jobs are created um, who are going to push back about the kind of levies that other countries are going to uh, be pushing forward. So while everyone may have the same or a similar idea in mind, uh, coming to an actual um, a- an agreement on this was yeah. always going to take years. Otherwise, I mean, let's face it, we'd have a, a-, a-, a multilateral multinational tax code, uh, which we don't, because that would make things uh, obviously a lot easier, but everyone has the di- different ideas as is, well is, as to what it, the levy should be. Are you suggesting that this is the normal discourse for trade talks that actually used to take place behind closed doors, and it's only now that they're so important and everybody's talking about them that we're hearing actually what goes on? Yeah, exactly, and 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 I think this this is also kind of, it, we're in a new era of what these tax talks involve, because we are talking about these multinational online com- companies and it's, it's a lot more difficult to therefore monitor exactly what how much tax they should be paying in what countries it's obviously, it's obviously previously been a lot more simple and things like VAT could solve uh, a lot of issues for example so uh, I do think that this is a far more complex issue than what we've dealt with in the past it's also been an extremely slow response to the emergence of these the, these companies but again it only takes a few countries to, to push back and a few big countries like the US to push back against uh, rules which others want to be imposed 
uh, and, and you've got uh, and you've got a massive issue. But let's face it, we can't be. Uh, we've got to remember that if this was the UK, I don't think there'd be any less pushback. Just look at what what kind of pushback there was in the UK, for example, to a financial transactions tax from the EU because it disproportionately affected uh, affected us. We are we are not innocent in all of this. So there was there's ov- there was always going to be pushback from the US, and it makes you very sceptical as to how you come to an, an actual agreement on, on this, a multilateral one, which is why countries are going down the unilateral route. But the US is always going to respond with tariffs. We saw it against France. They've come to an agreement to push that back. For, to expect that we're going to get any special treatment because the UK seems a little bit naive. And let's face it, car manufacturers, that's the last thing they need right now is tariffs coming from the US as well. Now, railways are complicated things, aren't they? And uh, our local line, which is, uh, has a huge um, sort of catchment area into, into London, southwestern railways, could be nationalised, declared a £137 million pound loss. Um, 21 day strike before Christmas and also rolling stock late and so on. I mean, if, if that particular network were to be nationalised, that would shift the power considerably, wouldn't it, towards nationalising other lines? Because it seems as though even the mighty transport companies cannot make money. Yeah, I mean, it, it, this, I think this does highlight both of these issues really do just highlight the fact that we do need a fundamental rethink as to what our strategy is and what it is that we want to uh, what it is that we want to achieve in all of this. Now, don't get me wrong, um, this idea that we need to go back to the drawing board is one that infuriates me personally because it feels like we're, we spend all our time at the drawing board just rubbing things out, correcting things, touching things up and not actually doing anything that fundamentally changes uh, the way that these systems work and we are talking about a system which is um, which is lost in time. We are well behind uh, the other the other major economies around the world, not just Japan. Japan's always the one that's, uh, that's highlighted because they do have this ultra high speed rail, incredible connectivity, etc. But it, there's there's many other countries around the world where uh, our public services, like the rails, are falling behind. And the fact that we are seeing uh, many of these now falling into national ownership does just highlight the fact that this is fundamentally uh, broken. And we can talk and talk and talk and talk for days as much as we want, but things need to be implemented so we can try and actually fix the issues. And for me, something like HS2, just going back to drum, but I, I understand obviously costs have to be adhered to and we need to try and keep them down. But if we go through years and years or decades of discussions and finally decide, you know, we spent close to £10 billion and we've decided it doesn't actually work, we need to try and find a different solution, this just feels like a a complete failure for more concern because our our infrastructure is lagging. uh, And just going back to the drawing board and trying to come up with new solutions and try and touch up old models just doesn't seem to be a, a logical solution as far as I'm concerned. Boeing... The 737 MAX has the full confidence of Boeing CEO. Well, you would expect him to say that, yeah. wouldn't you? Um, uh, Just not the regulators. Well, indeed, yes. But it's, it, you know, it's actual re-emergence is getting later and later. Um, let's just address the supply chain. Never mind Boeing for the moment. But the supply chain must be really feeling the pain now, mustn't it? Yeah, they will be, especially considering that the 737 Max production is now effectively paused because there's only so much um, there's only so much space that they can uh, put this inventory right. I mean, we're not talking about uh, boxes of small items; we're talking about enormous aircraft uh, that there has to be stored while the production was continuing because obviously they couldn't be uh, delivered. The uh, this is a very worrying situation now, not uh, uh, particularly for Boeing. Now their share price has fallen around thirty percent at a time when um, global stock markets are up, I think, around the same amount uh, over the course of that time. So when we're talking, about, when we look at the share price of Boeing, you can say, well, actually, it's not fared too badly when you consider the the seriousness of this affair. But 
when you compare their, their performance to the overall stock market, then they've actually underperformed very. They've actually underperformed dramatically. But the, the question is, when we're talking about the aircraft, they're talking about the aircraft being back in the skies in July. That's actually a more worrying sign for me because in September we were talking about kind of December when we were looking a little bit earlier. We were talking about October, November time. We were always talking two or three months ahead. The fact that they've effectively acknowledged that this is going to be another six months at least. Um, is a very concerning sign because you have to wonder just how incredibly fundamental the problems uh, were to yeah. begin with. So this is a this is a major concern for uh, Boeing, as far as I'm concerned. And we can close our interesting mornings chat with a subject which is very dear to your heart, which is the European Central Bank. I mentioned, <laughs> I know, <laughs> I know, they're, they're, they're meeting today, uh, but in Davos, a lot of bankers, surprise, surprise, have been at any uh, any European officials there saying, "Hang on a second, we don't like these negative interest." rates we can't make any profits um what will the what will the response of the ecb be i think i know what it's going to be not quite the two-fingered salute but it'll be something like that won't it yeah i mean it, we, we have to remember that the ecb has done everything it can to try and stimulate the economy and, and hit its two percent inflation target uh, and yet what we're effectively seeing is lagging growth lagging inflation and fundamental problems which still exist now we're talking we've seen the Draghi's final bazooka a few months ago so we're not expecting any policy change from the ECB at any of the upcoming meetings but one of th- one of the issues which is expected to be discussed going forward is going to be whether a, a, a close but below but close to 2% inflation target is is an apt mandate for the ECB and this is something they're expected to discuss the problem that almost exists with that is let's assume that they decide that it's not aggressive enough and they need more. That doesn't help the policy tools, which they still don't have. So you're kind of addressing the wrong issue here. Um, And accepting lower inflation is probably equally as problematic. So, I mean, uh, this just comes back to the same old arguments of the ECB is doing everything it's can, like every other central bank around the world, to try and stave off deflation, to try and stimulate growth. But ultimately, it, it feels like governments need to start doing more. And this, I sound like a broken record when I'm saying this, and just throwing cash at the problem doesn't necessarily make it go away. But it does feel like there's too many countries around the world where there's been leaning so much on the central banks over the course of the last 10 years. They haven't done enough to actually fix the problems which enable us to be in a stronger position now. Uh, and we did very very briefly uh, we did start the program talking about the the, the virus outbreak in China the, the latest from that is that the city is now actually in lockdown transport links have been actually severed and there are worries about food shortages I just mentioned this because I know you'll be looking at it during the day we may be talking in much more depth about it uh, next week but that's the absolute latest Craig Erlum thank you very much indeed The Business Breakfast on Jazz FM with Oanda Online trading currency data money transfers 